Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. Great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Augustine famously said, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, summation of all the prophets, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength. All of us here today are driven by desires. All of us today, we were created to desire. Everyone within the sound of my voice has a longing in their hearts. Here's the truth. There are many men and there are many women who spend their lives chasing unsatisfying desires. We buried my great uncle a couple of weeks ago and as we were going out to the graveyard where he's buried with my family, I saw on a tombstone in my hometown these words, worked hard all my life, got nothing to show for it. I don't know about you, but that's not what I want on my tombstone. Worked hard all my life. Got nothing to show for it. We only got one shot at this life. Better make sure that we are living it well. So that begs a question. How is it that we can make sure that we are living our life well? Well, listen to me carefully. It all goes back to that one word that we've already said. It all goes back to desire. And I still believe that there's some traces of unchristian thought when a preacher mentions a word from behind the pulpit like desire. Preacher, don't talk dirty to us. Don't talk about desires. Maybe you know these people. Maybe you know some Christians who live with the idea that if anything is fun, then it must be of the devil. You ever heard anyone say that? You know, that brings out an interesting point if we think about that. One of the worst consequences of sin that's happened is the conflict that has been brought between our desires. Sin has brought a conflict between our desires. Sin has come and bound our wills so that no matter how hard we try, apart from divine intervention, apart from divine empowerment, our whole will is bound to evil. This is why the Sermon on the Mount is is so gripping. And if you have your Bible here, I invite you today on this homecoming Sunday, join me in Matthew chapter 6. Oxford has been in Matthew chapter 5 
and in chapter 6 since the beginning of the year. And today we continue. And this is the reason why we see the Sermon on the Mount is so gripping. Because as we look at chapter 6, we learn that nothing is safe from the pervasiveness of sin. Not even something as simple as we suggest as prayer. Prayer is one of those things that, that everyone likes to do, everyone likes to talk about doing. You, you would think that of all things, then if we could just simply pray, then we, everything would be alright. Well, that's not true in chapter 6. Now that sin has entered the world, we know that there's a conflict in our desires. Now listen carefully. Desiring is not bad. We know that desiring is not bad. But desiring the wrong thing is bad. So how can we tell the difference between what is a good desire and what is a bad desire? Well, Matthew chapter 6 comes and helps us. As well as Matthew chapter 5. Really, really, the whole Bible helps us, but we're focusing here for our purposes just on these first eight verses. Matthew chapter 6, it, it tells us, we have a, a paradigm here. It's, it tells us it's not enough for us to desire to pray. We have to pray even the right way. So even something as simple as praying is not safe from the pervasiveness of sin. And in chapter 6, I hope that we understand this, chapter 6 is continuing what Jesus has already said in chapter 5, and in chapter 6, Jesus is laying out a path for us to follow Him, and He's tuning our hearts to sing His praise. He is laying out a path for us to follow Him, and the path that He's wanting us to follow Him is a path of desiring Him. Let's read the Bible together. First eight verses. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 6. Beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room. Shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Would you pray with me today? Father, what a great opportunity You've given us to be confronted with eternity through Your Word. Teach us, we pray, full obedience. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, Amen. Notice the way the chapter 6 starts. This is so telling. This shows us how pervasive sin is. Look at the way that it says, it, it begins with a warning. Do you see it there? It starts with this word, beware. We see the warning, but look at what it is that motivates us. What motivates the warning? It's rewards. 
Do you see that? Do you see right before the second verse, we have the word reward. What is it that Jesus is using to motivate us? It is war. Now, there's so much to this idea, and I want to make sure that we cover it, but we need to make the point over and over again. Listen carefully. God delights in our delighting in Him. If you think this morning that you have to choose between your joy or God's glory, then you are sadly mistaken. Matter of factly, if this is the way that you live your life, you are to be beyond just mistaken. You're to be pitied. If you think that you have to choose, if you think that you cannot enjoy God, then listen to this preacher standing behind this pulpit with the Word open before you. If you think that you cannot enjoy God, then you do not know Him. God has created us to desire, and the greatest desire that we can have is Him. John Piper, if you don't read him, you really should. He said it this way, Listen carefully. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Let me read that again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And I wonder how many of you can truly look at your life as a follower of Jesus and you can say, as a follower of Jesus, I am satisfied. How many of you can look at your life and say, I have found what my heart longs for? How many of you can say that? How many of our hearts beat to the rhythm of pleasing God? You know, not pleasing Him is as bad for our hearts as our hearts going into arrhythmia. You know what arrhythmia is, right? If you have arrhythmia, then your heart is out of rhythm. And if your heart is out of rhythm for too long, you know what can happen to you? Well, you can die. Not good. I've been pastoring now for a while. And I wonder how many here have found Christ as truly your satisfaction and joy. I want to give you two truths to encourage you not to be satisfied until you're seeking the right reward. I don't want you to go about in this life, and Christ doesn't want you to go about in this life either, chasing vapors and shadows. Christ wants you to understand that in Him you can find total pleasure, total satisfaction, total desires. See, don't waste your life chasing shadows and vapor. Pursue the God who has been pursuing you since the very foundations of the So number one this morning, if you're taking notes, number one, and these are pretty simple, I pray. Number one, plainly, God rewards those who seek Him. God rewards those who seek Him. Look at verse 6 of Matthew 6. See what it says then? Your Father who sees in secret will, underline that, reward you. Not that He might reward you. He will reward you. Doesn't that thrill your heart? Doesn't that arrest you? Maybe just the thought of it makes your heart, like mine, beat a little faster. 
Do you realize that there's a God in heaven who rewards those who seek Him? You and I have a Father in heaven who sees and rewards. You know what this means? It means that our God is not disengaged and He is not unconcerned. No, the Bible shows Him as something other. The Bible says that He is El Roi, the God who sees. The Bible says that He is Yahweh, Yoray. He is the God who provides. So the problem is not our desiring. The problem is our desiring is just too shallow. I think no one has said it better that's encouraged my heart more understanding rewards than C.S. Lewis. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said in his essay or sermon, The Weight of Glory. Listen to what he says. I want to read this, this section for you. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end of itself. We are told to deny ourselves and take up our cross in order that we may follow Christ and nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to our desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, Lewis says that I submit that this notion has crept in from a guy named Immanuel Kant and the Stoics. Then he says this, listen, it has no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, Lewis continues, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Look at these verses again. Go back, if you don't believe me here, go back. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Look at the Beatitudes. Look at the promise. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a reward that Christ is holding before us. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. That's a reward. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Reward. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Reward. Blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. Reward. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Reward. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. Reward. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Reward. And then listen, if you don't believe me, keep reading. Listen to what it says in 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward in heaven is great. And then we have this motivating us in chapter 6. Beware. The reason why you need to beware is because of what you might miss. Beware of what it is you're chasing. Because in you chasing what it is that you're chasing, thinking that you're finding something, you may end up finding nothing. 
if you're not going after the way that Jesus commands us to go after. And I love this. Look at verse 6. All along in verse 1, in verse 2, in verse 4, in verse 5, in verse 6. You see the word, don't you? Reward, 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 reward. But you know what's not there? Notice what's missing. There's the promise of the reward, but there's no specific about what the reward is. It doesn't tell us. It leaves us wondering what the reward is. And so I think that the reason that God doesn't give us the specifics of the reward, this is why we don't know much about what heaven's going to be like. The reason I think is because we are not meant to limit the reward. If we could put some kind of limit on it, what good would it be? Limitless is what awaits those who love Christ. Listen, don't take my word for it. Listen to how Paul says it. He didn't know either. Greatest theologian that ever lived outside of Christ. And listen to what he says. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for who? Those who love Him. That word prepared, that reminds me of something. It reminds me of another word that Jesus used in John 14. Do you remember what He said? You love the passage. Many of you may have it on your wall. I go to do what? Prepare a place for you. That when I come again, there you may be also. In my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions. It doesn't tell us the color of the carpet. <laughs> it doesn't tell us any details about it. He just says, where I am, there you may be also. And Paul says, what God has prepared, your eye can't see, your ears never heard. Matter of fact, your heart can't even begin to imagine all that God has prepared for those who love Him. And we know what He has prepared because the Son has come to us to show us the Father. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Your Father. Don't miss that. You know how we know that He is our Father? Jesus has come to teach us that. You know how we know that God is our Father? Because Christ has come. We're able to address Him as Father because of the wonderful ministry of the Son. And What's the ministry of the Son? Through His life, through His death on the cross, vicariously for my sin and yours, and the sins of the world, through His burial, resurrection, through His ascension, through His coming again, through His promising and empowering us by His Spirit, He has taken vagabonds like me and you and given us an inheritance in heaven. He has taken us from the guttermost to the uttermost. And the reason the reward is not specific is, is so that our focus will be on our Father who is in heaven who rewards us. Plainly, He is our reward. Now when I say that, listen carefully. When I say that God is our reward, listen carefully, this is not some utopian, ultra-spiritual, pie-in-the-sky, wait-for-tomorrow kind of reward. But you know what that does when we say that He is our reward? This assures us that our desires are for Him and we are not dividing our devotion between desiring the things that He offers and desiring Him. 
There is no distinction between the heart of a follower of Jesus Christ. You get the gift, you get the giver. And I don't know about you, but before God and before you, I want anything my Father who is in heaven, whose name is Hallowed, I want anything that He can give me. And Charles Spurgeon, much more eloquent speaker than I'll ever be, listen to what he said. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. Listen to what he says. My Master has riches beyond the count of arithmetic, the measurement of reason, the dream of imagination, or the eloquence of words. They are unsearchable. You may look and study and weigh, but Jesus is a greater Savior than you think Him to be when your thoughts are at their greatest. My Lord is more ready to pardon than you are to sin. More able to forgive than you to transgress. My Master is more willing to supply your wants than you are to confess them. Never. Tolerate low thoughts of my Lord Jesus. When you put the crown on His head, you only will crown Him with silver when He deserves gold. My Master has riches of happiness to bestow upon you now. He can make you lie down in green pastures and lead you beside still waters. There is no music like the music of His pipe when He is the shepherd and you are the sheep and you lie down at His feet. There is no love like His. Neither earth nor heaven can match it. To know Christ and to be found in Him, oh, this is life. This is joy. This is marrow and fatness. Wine on the lees well refined. My Master does not treat His servants churlishly. He gives to them as a king giveth to a king. He gives to them two heavens, a heaven below and serving Him here, and a heaven above and delighting in Him forever. His unsearchable riches will be best known in eternity. He will give you on the way to heaven all you need. Your place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Your bread shall be given you and your waters shall be sure. But it is there, there, where you shall hear the song of them that triumph the shout of them that feast, and shall have a face-to-face view of the glorious and beloved One, the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is the tune for the minstrel of earth, the song for the harpers of heaven. Lord, teach us more and more of Jesus, and we will tell out the good news to others. If Christ did not give us hope, we did not have this ward set before us. I wouldn't be a Christian. I wouldn't ask you to be either. If this was not the substance of our faith, the joy of our delighting, then I wouldn't want anybody that I know to be a Christian. Think about how absolutely purposeless everything would be if there was not a Father in Heaven who sees in secret. What hope would we have? What word of assurance to anchor our souls if God were just some idea beyond our imaginations and not intimately acquainted with us? But the 
Bible tells us the true story of God. It reveals to us the God who we know as Father, who sees in secret, and who rewards. Now, we know what He sees. Maybe the thought of what He sees causes you to shudder and tremble. I think it should. But I think maybe another appropriate question for you is we know His vision, but what is your vision? What is it that you see? As you walk through life day by day, what are you consumed with? Getting by, making a paycheck, making sure that your family has this or that, pursuing some dream? Are you consumed with the vision of a Father in heaven whose name is hallowed, whose kingdom is coming, whose will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven? Plainly, this morning, are you seeking God's reward? That's point number two this morning. Number two, seek God's reward. He rewards those who seek Him. And why would you not seek His reward? But the truth is, so many of us are just like what C.S. Lewis said. We are making mud pies when we could have the chocolate cake. Forget the mud pie. Give me the cake. God offers us this. He's offering us what is good. He's offering us what is satisfying. He's offering us truth. And the way that we're told to seek God's reward here is to pray. I don't know about you, but that is fascinating to me. It's interesting that of all the things, not go out and do this or that, God calls us to be alone. Go to our room and make a real difference. How on earth does prayer show that we are seeking God's reward? Here's what I think. Prayer is one of the most faith-filled exercises that you and I can engage in this side of heaven. And I really think that this is why most of us don't do it. Because we're still in the shallows of faith and we have yet to let His wind fill our sails and take us out to sea. Take us out to the depths of all that He has prepared for life surrendered to Him. We went to visit our friends the other day and they have on their mantle a good reminder. You've heard the quote before. I don't know who said it, but God is ready to take full responsibility of the life that is fully surrendered to Him. You know why we don't pray? You know why we don't share our faith? Why we don't live as a Christian? It's simple. Because we're satisfied with the shallows of faith when God calls us to the depths. Listen, as He calls us to the depths, He's there with us. And even if the waters get churny and rocky, and they probably will, He has the power, if He so chooses, to speak to the waves and say, Peace be still. Think about prayer just for a moment. Prayer is a time where we order our thoughts around a God that we cannot see and we expect Him to do things that we can only imagine. Do you see the faith there that that requires? 
ordering your thoughts around a God that you can't see and expecting Him to do things that you can't even imagine. It's incredible to get on our knees and to put our face on the floor and to cry out to God. That's amazing. The act of prayer is full of faith. But what's the object of your faith? Is the object of your faith a Father in heaven who rewards? I sure hope so. Because it sure should be. Because there's no one greater than Him. Listen to the passage in Hebrews chapter 11. This may help us as we think about prayer. Prayer being this faith-filled endeavor, this faith-filled enterprise. Listen to what Hebrews says, talking about these great saints who by faith did this, who by faith did that. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, which is what we do in prayer, whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. And then look look at this. Not just believe that He exists. Look what's next. That He rewards those who seek Him. You see that phrase repeated? Reward those who seek Him. It's the same phrase kind of phrase repeated here. Though this time, it's fixed with a life full of faith. And so, when Jesus calls us to pray, He's calling us to live a life of faith. Rest assured this morning, a person who kneels before God can stand before anyone. A person who doesn't kneel before God is a person who will be pushed over by anything. A person who will kneel before God in private prayer is a person who will walk with God in the world. You can't walk with God before others if you aren't willing to walk with Him in the quiet moments of your life when nobody's watching. God rewards those who seek Him. I hope that you've gotten the point of that so far. God rewards those who seek Him. Aren't you glad that God rewards those who seek Him? I wonder how the thought of God in heaven, how that and His rewards and all your expectation and all your delights and all your desire, all your wants, all your dreams, all your aspiration, everything. I wonder how the thought of a God in heaven who rewards determines how you live your life. Now, when you pray, do you expect God to reward? Now, we use that language and we're talking about God answering prayer. You have a God in heaven who responds to your prayers. And we know how God answers. Either yes, no, or wait. We know those things. But the fact that there is a merciful, majestic, holy, awesome, magnificent God in heaven who tunes in when you pray to Him in Jesus' name. There's a God in heaven who not only exists, Hebrews 11 says, but rewards those who seek Him. I wonder if you expect God to reward is your prayer life. Think about it. when you pray. Has your prayer life become mundane? Down. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Give me this. Give me that. And that's it. Or are you praying with fervency? Are you praying with expectancy? And I really think we're afraid because maybe we've been burned before. Which prayer is this opportunity for God to form His will? in our lives. Maybe the reason that we're afraid is with expectancy because we're unsure of God's will. 
You ever had that problem when you pray? You're unsure of God's will. And the problem is not being unsure of God's will, but when you're unsure of God's will in that way, that shows that you have divided desires. What if you could be sure of God's will? Would you pray with expectancy then? What if what we expected, don't miss this, this is important, what we expected when we pray was the will of God being accomplished and we were satisfied with what He said no matter what. Now guys, I'm talking about the crucible of holiness here. I'm not talking about something easy. I'm talking about being satisfied and pleased with God no matter what. You're praying for your little baby to get better. You want your little baby to get better, but the baby doesn't get better. You go to the grave. You grieve. You long for more. But at the end of the day, you can say with full assurance, not putting on a face, but in the depths of your heart, you can say, I am satisfied in I don't know all of these things. But I trust Him. I sure do trust Him. And this King who taught us to pray, this King who told us about rewards, He said that every tear would be stored in a bottle and every low place would be lifted up and every wrong would be righted. And so I don't feel good today, but my Hope and satisfaction is not in these particular circumstances. It's in the peculiar, magnificent God that I serve. A rock-solid assurance. Sure of the will of God. No matter what the outcome is. I remember being taught this. Father, forgive me. I'm still being taught this. I don't know if you can learn this outright. I remember... My pastor, Charles Stanley, when he was running for the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, this was during a very heated time in our convention, there was a, something known as a conservative resurgence that was going on. And the newspapers, they knew that Charles Stanley was running and someone else was running, and it was a very pivotal election in the year 1985, I think it was. And some of the reporters came up to Dr. Stanley and said, What if you lose? He said, What do you mean lose? I can't. Stanley being prideful, talking a bunch of pride speak, he said, no, no, I can't lose because if I win on this side or if I lose on this side, it's the will of God no matter what. I wonder how many of us could say that about every circumstance of our life. You can nail it down as much as you want to nail it down. Are you satisfied in Christ alone? Or do you still have these divided desires so that it makes you unsure of God's will? Are you able to pray, nevertheless, thy will be done? George Mueller of Bristol was a British evangelist in the 19th century, and in his lifetime, Mueller cared for over 10,000 orphans. And Mueller never asked publicly for a dime of that money. God abundantly blessed him with millions of dollars to care and to found and to care for these orphans. Mueller was a great man of faith. He was a, a
prayer warrior. And there was a story about Mr. Mueller told from a steamboat captain. So it wasn't from Mr. Mueller. It was from a steamboat captain who was transporting Mr. Mueller to a speaking engagement. There was a thick fog threatening to delay the arrival of the vessel, which meant that Mr. Mueller would miss his speaking engagement. So Mueller, he saw the fog. He saw the slowing of the boat. He knew his deadline. He went to the bridge. He asked the captain, are we going to make the engagement? And the captain said, the fog is too thick. It's impossible. We're not going to make it. Mr. Mueller looked at the captain and he said, I've not missed a speaking engagement in 57 years and I'm not going to start now. Let's go and pray. The captain telling the story, he says that he thought that this man was a lunatic. He really wanted to be left alone. So he just went with the old man down to his chambers. The old man got on his floor and the captain said he prayed the most simple prayer. Prayer that a little child could pray. Lord, I believe that it is Your will for me to preach the Gospel. Lord, fog is preventing this vessel from getting safe to port. I'm going to miss my speaking engagement if the fog doesn't lift. Would You lift the fog? Thank You for lifting the fog. In Jesus' name, Amen. The captain said, before he could utter a word of his own prayer, he felt a hand on his shoulder. Mr. Mueller had grabbed him and said, Dear Captain, there's no reason for you to pray. First off, you don't believe that God will answer you. And second off, the fog is already gone. The captain got up, went to the bridge, and sure enough, the fog, the dense fog, had lifted. Mr. Mueller didn't miss his speaking engagement that night. You know why prayer is so important? When we pray, we're making a declaration. We are declaring our dependence. We are declaring our desperation for God's will to be done no matter what. God intends prayer to center our pursuits. And when we pray, we are making a verifiable declaration. We have no other hope other than God's direct personal intervention. And until you and I get to the point and we delight in that point, we'll continue to pursue shadows and vapor. Jesus is calling us today. Don't waste your life pursuing anything other than all that He desires. Don't waste your life pursuing anything other than all that He offers. And what is it that He offers? Listen carefully. If we were to summarize all that He offers, and this is a beautiful summary. Are you ready for it? It's Jesus. Would you say that with me? Jesus. You know why it's Jesus? Because all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Father, in Jesus' name, we love You. We thank You for loving us with a great and awesome love. Father, if there are some here today who are wasting, just wasting their life because they are pursuing anything, no matter how good it is, other than Jesus. Father, would You take their hearts and grab it hard? 
convict them. Father, right now where they sit, would they, in the quiet moment that they have, the Father who sees in secret, Lord, You give them the reward of seeking You now. May they call upon You. Ask You to save them. Father, for those who are Yours, who know that they're Yours, but they're living a life like they're not, would You call them to repentance today? And Lord, for anyone else, would You teach us to desire all that You offer? Jesus. Simply and wholly, Jesus. In whose name we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.